Hey everyone, you're listening to the Embrace the Messy podcast with Shannon Schinkel. I'm a high school educator, challenge seeker, lifelong learner, and embracer of all things messy. I find inspiration from individuals who are passionate about learning and embracing change. Join me as I share my experiences and interview people who will inspire you to embrace the messy too. Let's go. During this holiday season, I want to express my gratitude for all the support you, my listeners, have given this podcast. I am completely in love with preparing for this podcast, interviewing guests, and writing openings, and I have decided to continue on this journey. But I think it's it's a bit of time for a reflection, right? It's that time of year, and a short break for most of us is upon us. And, you know, whether or not you partake in any celebratory or religious activities at this time of year, there is this feeling in the air of rest, of community, of recharging, and of giving. And it made me wonder, you know, what are your favorite ways to give back? You know, I like paying it forward when I go through a drive-thru, paying for someone's coffee or breakfast and... In my community, there are always volunteers braving the weather, ringing their bells, and asking for donations for various charities. When my kids were little, we enjoyed bringing those volunteers hot chocolate, just as our way of saying thank you for their volunteerism. Uh, For a few years, my daughter and I used to give out flowers to random people as, you know, random acts of kindness. When we all take the time to do these activities while I enjoy the sense of pride and doing so this time of year. I also can't help but think about the rest of the year when people also need kindness. How can we prolong the feeling of giving and continue to do so at other times of the year? Does it have to look the same? Maybe it looks different. My friend and I call her my work wife, Juliet, at my school has coordinated a secret pal event for the last couple of years. If staff wants to be involved, they fill out a little questionnaire and then you get to, you know, choose a random person. And once a month, the idea is, you know, you give and receive small gifts and gestures of kindness. The gifts are great, but I especially love the gratitude individuals show on the little bulletin board at our office. You know, little notes of thanks like, hey, secret pal, thanks so much for giving me this blah, blah, blah. It's exactly what I needed, you know, and I just... I think that that's just so beautiful. Another friend of mine who is a now retired colleague, her name is Heather, is one of those lovely special people, always so good at random acts of kindness. She used to do these little small gestures, sometimes a sweet note, um, sometimes a small gift. And to this day, even though we don't live in the same city, warm text messages, wishing me well on my first day back at school or trying to lift up my spirits during a a tough time or during report card time or congratulating me on something that I've done. And she's just the best. And, you know, I think I I really do strive to be as kind as, as someone like her. It's also really important to model kindness at this time of year with our students and our colleagues. For some, this is a really difficult time of year, you know, for... my colleagues as well as the students I work with while friends um, you know are filled with joy and family and connection you know people are flying into town to celebrate with them you know many actually feel a sense of sadness and loss or loneliness for whatever reason School is a haven to these individuals because it's the place where they can be themselves, have relationships and find them, you know, a way of stepping away from any negative negativity that they experience. While I often feel anxious about cooking a big Christmas dinner, having to endure other last minute shoppers and the craziness at the mall. This year, I'm going to try and pause and remember that I am so lucky, so fortunate to be able to afford, you know, gas in my car and 
that I have this savings account that gives me this opportunity to spoil my family and that I have food in my fridge. Gratitude is universal. Words and gestures, thoughtfulness and connection go a long way. Let's keep it up throughout the year. I have learned so much about gratitude from Lainey Rowell. Lainey is an educator, podcast host, author, and consultant. Her books, Evolving with Gratitude and Bold Gratitude, the journal designed for you, by you, inspire me to include gratitude in my daily practice with my family and with my students. Gratitude, I have learned from Lainey, strengthens our hearts and minds. Her podcast fills me with with joy, and this interview filled me with so much joy. I hope you enjoy my interview with Lainey Rowell. Hello, Lainey Rowell. Welcome to the Embrace the Messy podcast. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for the invite. I am so, so thrilled. I So for listeners, Lainey and I just met like five minutes ago, and I'm totally fangirling because I am a huge fan of your podcast and your book, Evolving with Gratitude. And I, I just want to say that before we get started, you, your work feels like the sunshine in a world where we can be inundated with negativity. And I have been working on the gratitude process with myself and my students. I'm a big fan of like Monty Syrie's work. Um, on, and I, I follow him on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. And I do things like smiles and frowns with my kids. And I've got, you know, I teach drama and humanity. So I'm I'm trying to be very energetic in that with my classroom. And it's, it just, your podcast especially just really grounds and centers me and brings me back to keep working on this with myself and my kids. So thank you so much for joining me. Oh, well, that was all very, very lovely. And I hope I can live <laughs> up to that. Um, oh. that was- very kind. So I appreciate you. You, I you, appreciate you already have just by being able to join me here. So I want to dig in, of course, to gratitude and all of the work that you've done and your book. But first, I am really fascinated by individuals' origin stories. And I'm wondering if you could kind of, you could give listeners an idea of, you know, how did you get into education and what led you down this path of learning and gratitude? Yes. Well, I'd love to share that. I'll try not to be too long-winded about it, but I'll, I'll just share the, the highlights. So I was not what you would say a strong student. I love to learn, but I wasn't really one of those people that fit into, I know how to do this in this context of school. And, but I, I was very good at sports and I played softball and I did all of these things. And my parents were always very like, you have to be moving along and you will go to college. I'm like, okay, I'll go to college. And I decided to be a psychology major because I've always been fascinated by human behavior and how we interact with each other. And so that was my major. And I I loved that coursework. That was so lovely. And then it came time to do my field hours. You do time in a, a facility of your choice. Uh, it could have been a hospital. It could have been a private practice. I chose to do mine in a school Full disclosure, being fully transparent, the school was within walking distance of my San Diego State campus. And so it was oh. <laughs> maybe a convenience issue, but sure. oh, it sure. was it was serendipitous because it was the best thing that ever happened in my life. It is a sliding doors moment where I chose that path or it chose me. And once I set foot on a school campus, I was determined to become a teacher. And so I became a teacher from that. I was actually planning to be a special education teacher. And I had a family friend who said, well, don't go into special ed right away because when you go into special ed, you're never allowed to leave. <laughs> so you might, you might want other things. And so try, try just going into general ed and then see if you still want to go into special education. It just so happened that I ended up 
my like third school was a school that was brand new. It didn't have a lot of technology, but it did have good technology. And I got really fascinated in how technology could actually help meet the needs of all learners, not just those who had been designated special ed. And so that kind of took me down a different path where I still felt like I got to help. I could, would maybe be able to help all of the kids, but uh, yeah. So, and then I mean, it's so hard to even like remember all the things that led me to where I am because it seems like a lot of twists and turns. But I will say, you know, obviously March 2020 was something that Mm. impacted a lot of us and it was a really difficult time. I am at the time of this recording and and then a full-time consultant dependent, my income is largely dependent on speaking. And Mm -hmm. so within like 48 hours, I lost three months of income just like that, which was really Mm -hmm. hard. And it stressed me out. Luckily, I have a good support system. And my husband was like, it's going to be fine. You have lots of talents. (laughs) You'll figure this out. (laughs) And um, but it was a real struggle. And, you know, I've got my kids at home and their teachers are amazing doing these Herculean efforts. But I really just came across this Laura Kelly Finucci poem and you, you saw it in the book, probably, you know, Mm -hmm. when this is over and I never do the poem justice, but she's basically talking about how, you know, full shelves at the store, handshakes with neighbors, you know, the hustle of getting the kids out the door and all these things that we took for granted before we went into lockdown, shutdown. And that really was like a call to action. Like, okay, not only am I going to, when this is over, be grateful for things, but I'm going to be grateful for where we are right now. We're in our house. We're mm-hmm. safe. We have a healthy paper supply. Uh, we have, you know, we have the things that we need. We're not going to go hungry and we're all safe and healthy. And that's what we need to do. So we started gratitude journaling and then there were just a, a bunch of things down the road that kind of led me this way. George Kuros asked me to write a chapter of Because of a Teacher, right. mm-hmm. which was like um, this public love letter to a principal who changed my life. And then I wrote an article for Edutopia on gratitude and people were DMing me. And, you know, sometimes articles don't get as much traction as other articles. Right, right. This one was one where people were being like, gratitude makes all the difference. And so the, I just kept mm-hmm. getting these signals and signposts, like there's more here. And that's when I decided to dig into the research and really do, I read the books, I watched the videos, I listened to the podcasts, I just immersed myself. And that's when I decided to write Evolving with Gratitude. Oh, I, I love that story. I love the part in your story too, where you talk about how, you know, we have these twists and turns and everything, you know, happens for a reason. Like, I know that sounds kind of cliche, right? Everything happens for a reason, but I think maybe that's not the correct wording, but I think there's something to glean from it, right? There's something to learn from it. In my context, we, I came into the profession where it was really, really hard to actually land a job. And I actually, my first continuing contract or permanent position was actually teaching special ed. So I became a resource teacher with absolutely no, uh, you know, background in it. But it was like, you know, put me in coach, I can do this. And it wound up being, well, first of all, it wound up kind of saving my bacon when schools started to close in my area um, because that helped me land a job. But it also really supported me in understanding how to be inclusive. And I've actually told teachers who are going, you know, student teachers, if you get a chance to become a resource teacher and work in like a special needs department, it will make you a better teacher. It made me a better drama teacher. I'm now working on with inclusion and helping uh, regular classroom teachers do replacement goals and those kinds of things. And I'm thinking to myself, man, you know, if I go back, you know, 25 years and I had not landed that position, where would I be now? Would I even be doing all this assessment stuff? So I, I, I appreciate that. And, and you're right about 2020. It was, it was not pretty, but at the same time, there was this sentiment that people were starting to be grateful, you know, walking outside. And we saw so many more people on our roads walking around, right? You know, just smiling with someone in the neighborhood as you pass each other from a distance, of course. But yes, right. It was, yeah. And it was just, it was actually, it was, it was kind of cool right after, you know, the fog, you know, of what is going on in our world after that all settled. So 
you know, my podcast is called Embrace the Messy. And I know it sound, might sound a little contradictory to think about gratitude being messy, but I think it is a messy journey, right? And we have to embrace it. So what kinds of things are you still working on for yourself since launching the podcast and writing the book? Oh, there's so much. And I do love Embrace the Messy. And I think I'm still very much working on indebtedness. So you're giving me this very generous intro and I'm sitting here going, oh my gosh, she's she's so nice. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. How, how What am I going to do to pay this back to her? We, and we fall in that trap, don't we? Right? We oh, do, it's so hard. We okay. Yeah. And we're so going to get into that later for sure. Yeah. I feel like there's, when you, when you get indebtedness, you get indebtedness. <laughs> like you yeah. understand if it's, if it's something that, that hits you. Um, so I'm also really working on, you know, where does gratitude intersect with other things? So as you very kindly shared, I have a podcast evolving with gratitude, just like the book. And I had Jeff Cohen on Dr. Jeffrey Cohen. He wrote the book belonging that came out, I believe in, I believe it's just 2022, really beautiful book. And when you talked about inclusion as part of your education journey, I mean, that really is a through line in mind. That was one of the reasons that I wanted to be a special ed teacher. I wanted to, you know, how do we make sure everyone's included in the learning and how do we make sure everyone's successful? And so it's really been thinking about like, okay, well, where does, what is the relationship between gratitude and belonging? And what is the relationship with gratitude and all these other things? And part of that mission of being inclusive with gratitude is, what are the ways that we can do it? It's not going to look the same for everyone. And mm -hmm. so I think uh, we don't need to talk about this now, but I think I mentioned to you, I did mention to you earlier that, you know, we put out bold gratitude, which is mm -hmm. not an education book, but it can be used in education. So it was, it was meant to be the piece that, so in evolving with gratitude, I do share practices. I give the science, the why, the how, but I also give some strategies like, well, you could do mental subtraction. You could do a savoring walk. You could do all these different things because a lot of people think it's just about sitting down and, you know, listing the things that you're grateful for, but there's so many more practices out there. And a huge shout out to Dr. Robert Emmons, who is considered to be like the world's leading science of gratitude expert, a huge shout out to Greater Good Science Center out of UC Berkeley. They do a ton of work on finding all these different practices. And so my mission has been kind of to, how do we make gratitude, practicing gratitude as inclusive as possible? And so that's where bold gratitude came from, because I wanted to make a journal that wasn't just about list the three things. It wasn't mm -hmm. just, there's 10 prompts that, you know, recycle every, you know, few pages. I wanted it to be, how do we bring in all these different practices? And again, it's not specific to education. It was written for tween and above, but a lot of educators are using it for themselves personally and then also bringing the practices that are in the journal into their classrooms. Administrators are bringing it into staff meetings. And so that's kind of where I'm really focused right now is how do we bring this in for everyone? Right. And so hopefully that answers that question. Oh, no, that's that's great. And see, like, and I love how you touch on there are different ways in which people can, you know, show gratitude. Like for me, it was trying to figure out where can I include this in my day? And I actually came back to thinking about when I was a kid and my mom would, you know, get me to, you know, say my prayers at bedtime, right? Yeah. You kneel beside the bed and, you know, God bless mom and dad yeah. and grandma and grandma. You did all that. And, you know, guess what? Even though I'm not, I don't go to church anymore, right? But I still consider myself a very, you know, spiritual person. I have just found that to be such a meaningful thing. You know, I crawl into bed, I'm getting ready, you know, I've got the eye mask on. And that's what I do is this, it's just taking that moment and kind of, you know, putting it out there in the universe. Mm -hmm. It is that sense. It just feels good to know that I'm acknowledging it. Now that form of gratitude that I'm working on is, you know, like, like private gratitude. Like, you know, the whole world doesn't know. I'm not like walking up and going, Lady, I'm so yeah. great. Oh, well, I have actually done that with you. But I'm not <laughs> going over to my neighbor and going, I'm so grateful for you. You know, so is there, do you believe that there, it's important to have space for public and private gratitude? 
I do with the full acknowledgement that we're all unique and dynamic and I can't prescribe anything. And I do want to just really quickly say that through all of my readings, I will come across an expert that will say, do gratitude at at night. And then I will come across another expert that says, do gratitude in the morning. And then there will be one expert that says, you should do gratitude every day. And then there's another that'll say three to four times a week, will get you still maximum benefits. And then there's others that are like, if you do it too much, it will lose its impact. So what I have learned is that even the experts don't agree. So (laughs) I feel like we have to give ourselves permission to find the practices that work best for us, use them in the ways that work best for us, and also give ourselves permission to change it up. Maybe Uh this certain practice is really hitting home for me right now. And I'm going to do this until I feel like it's time to mix it up. And that's totally fine. So now back to your question, the, the personal versus the private. So sure. the way that I think about it is, so I could talk about it in the context of, of education, but I'm going to step out and just be more general in like okay. the universals, right? So I believe that we can practice gratitude to make ourselves happier and that can be private. I think that we should practice gratitude. And I am, I, I'm a little hesitant to say that word should, but I actually do believe this is just mm-hmm. part of being human beings. So, oh yeah, put it out there. Put so, it out there, yeah. So <laughs> I think that we're in the best shape when we are practicing gratitude privately with ourselves to cultivate happiness, to improve our well-being, and then also with the people who are closest to us. And that could be just interpersonal, just between the two of us. That could be within our family, that could be within our classroom, and I wouldn't necessarily call it so much public, but it's in it's nurturing those relationships, right? Okay. And then I think there's also an element of really putting it out into the world. And it's like, okay, I, I just went to Sprouts. Um, not a paid endorsement, just, I went to this, this amazing grocery store and (laughs) I had the, I could not find this thing I was looking for. And this amazing, the grocery clerk, a angel came and found me looking lost and helped me find the thing that I needed to right? So I could just say thank you to that person and try and be as specific and authentic and that is possible. But what would really take that to the next level is if I went and did an online review of Sprouts and mentioned mm-hmm. that person specifically. And so to me, that is where I'm at as far as like, what does this look like? So I'm going to do it personally. I'm going to do it with my close relationships and I want to do it publicly as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's that, you know, you reflect on it inside you. You can take, that's kind of like one step. The next step is to do that where it's say very intimate and then you can actually make it public. Is it, it, I like how that's kind of like a continuum mm-hmm. of gratitude where you can grow at that, right? And I think for the most part, most people are really good on the reflecting piece and at least in my conversations with the people I know I don't try to you know say I'm not an expert I don't know what everybody's thinking and we do that personally but it is such a step outside our comfort zone and I know like with technology especially in the digital world you know the fact that you know on the you know social media you know it you know we can hide you know, often people will say, you know, when people are tweeting something that's really, you know, mean, you know, it's, you know, you're able to kind of hide behind that tweet because you're not face to face with them. But then it's almost it's the opposite. It's actually so much more challenging to do something positive via social media, because then it feels like I'm putting myself out there, right? Isn't it funny how it's, it's almost the 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 opposite depending on what you're saying, right? Yeah, you beautifully articulated the vulnerability that we sometimes feel when we're expressing gratitude, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, it is really the the whole social media and as someone who has been on Twitter since I think it started in 07, and (laughs) I know now whatever we're calling it X, but that's actually one of the things I can't control what other people do. I can control what I do. So what I am really trying to do with social media and just an online presence in general is just really like share what I'm learning, show gratitude to people who are teaching me things. I'm just trying to put the good stuff out there. And one of the things that's really lovely, and I'm kind of taking us on a tangent here, but I just wanted to share because I've been thinking about this a lot lately is that algorithms are based on your behavior. 
They respond to your behavior. So when you're amplifying the good, when you're putting out the good, you're training your algorithm to, I want to see these things. Does that mean that something nasty won't make it into your feed? No, but you can teach. And I teach my own children this who are almost 10 and almost 13 is that when we, we like to go through Instagram reels. And so I will tell them you are training the algorithm. The longer you put your eyeballs on this particular reel, you are saying, I like this. I rewatch mm -hmm. it. I save it. I share it. You're telling the algorithm, this is something I find to be good. It will send you more of this. So be careful what you put your eyeballs on. Be careful what you like. Be careful what you share. Um, because if, unless you want more of that, and in which case then like and share away. Right. 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 And that I, I oh, I just, I love that because yeah, the more it, it, it the algorithm is helping make gratitude contagious if we're actually <laughs> associating with things that are positive now in your book one of the things i appreciated is you lent some um, knowledge about what to do if you're feeling what you refer to as gratitude fatigue and that's and i've experienced that that's like here's an example so i've got my students i'm trying to shake these up instead of just doing smiles and frowns i'm like who are you grateful for? What are you grateful for? Every day for a solid week, I heard my mom and dad, my friends, my mom and dad, my friends. And awesome. I am glad they're feeling gratitude. And I'm like, can you change things up a bit? And then, yeah. but you framed it as, you know, we actually have to be very specific in the way we present our questions and original in order to get them to focus. So it might be, you know, something like, um, what's one thing you are grateful for in your, that you noticed this morning in your home, you know, yeah. like where it's a little bit more, more specific. Um, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit, the, this idea? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, again, we're all unique and dynamic. And so yeah. when, especially when I'm bringing gratitude into professional learning or with students, I'm always trying to think about, you know, kind of what's that firm goal and what are the flexible means? So you'll, you'll hear me use some terminology that you might associate with universal design for learning, because that's something I have been doing pretty much my entire career. So the funny thing Me is, too. like I said, I love, right? And so yeah, and the funny, I love it. So the funny thing is, is that I, I was advised not to go into special ed, but I kept making my way back there in certain ways. And so for me, universal design for learning, again, just like technology is a way to meet the needs of all learners. Like how do we remove mm -hmm. the barriers? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I am always thinking about Dr. Husong out of University of North Carolina and her team have identified the four essential elements of gratitude as notice, think, feel, and do. So what I really care about is that kids go through that or adult learners, whoever I'm get, whoever I'm taking through a gratitude practice, I care that they're doing the notice, the think, the feel, and the do. I want them to process through all of that. And I actually just wrote an article on Edutopia about this. Uh, I think it came out a couple months ago at the time of this recording, at least. So, so the notice is I, I need them to pay attention to something good that's happening in their life, right? So think about, and we can give them, you know, how many constraints you give is kind of depending on your context. Like maybe I do want it to be something specific to, you know, notice something good that happened. If you're doing it as like a closing activity, what is something good that happened during this activity that we just did, mm -hmm. right? Like it, you're going to have to decide based on what makes the most sense for your learners and you as the person leading the experience, how how focused am I going to make this? How much latitude do I want to give them? But the notice part is essential. Mm -hmm. And then the really thinking about, okay, well, how did this happen? How did this come to be? You know, how, how did, how am I benefiting from this? And then the feel, you know, let's like really try and get some emotional granularity here. What are the real feelings, not just happy or sad, but try and really build our emotional vocabulary. What are some words we could use to describe how I feel because of this? 
I was really struggling understanding this concept. And Mateo came over and he helped me understand this concept. It made sense. The light bulb went on and I feel empowered. I feel strong. I feel, you know, you know, whatever the feelings are. And I, I'm still working on this. There's so many things I'm still working on. And (laughs) Mark Brackett, Gale Center for Emotional Intelligence. They partnered up with some other organizations. They came out with the How We Feel app. If you go to howwefeel.org and you can download the app for free and it'll take you through, if you're not familiar with the mood meter, you don't have to be, but it's really, really helpful in developing that that vocabulary. So it reminds me a little bit of like, and the calm app, like when you do yeah. go through like guided meditation, it's got that same kind of thing, yeah. little emojis and that kind of it thing. Has, yeah. It'll have, a, it has these visuals where you'll choose the word and then up pops the definition, which is really helpful because you're, you're, you're really starting to understand like specifically, here's the difference between you know, calm and not that these are anywhere near each other, but calm and elated. But you know what I'm saying? Like, this is, this is grateful versus appreciated. This is, you know, all that kind of stuff. So you can Mm -hmm. check that out. So then, so it's the notice, the think, the feel and the do. And then the do is, you know, it could be, I'm going to show appreciation to someone else. It could be, I'm going to say a thank you to them. It could be all these different things that do is the call to action. What can I do? Because as you mentioned earlier, this is a contagious thing. This is a pro-social thing. And so what can I do to, and and then sometimes we want it to be a reciprocation, but sometimes that gets into, you know, that's where we go back to the indebtedness. And sometimes that starts to take people's joy away. Like we, we can just do a simple thank you and move on. We don't have to try and outdo their, their kindness to us. And Mm -hmm. so what can we, if I've got this built up indebtedness, can I put that towards something else, some Mm -hmm. intentional act of kindness out in the world or something like that? Mm -hmm. I, I really like the science behind this because I know there's, I have a a few colleagues who are really interested in, you know, brain science and, you know, how we learn and what you're sharing with me with the notice, feel, think, and do is metacognition, right? It's this, they're, they're, they're not just thinking about their learning, which we get to do when they say self-assess on an assignment, but they're thinking about their feelings. Okay. And, you know, I couldn't help. I'm, I'm thinking about in my own context, you know, it sometimes is a real struggle with teenagers to have them feel gratitude, especially when it comes to their sense of self. Mm. And, they're very negative, right? They're, they don't want to hear, or they have a difficult time absorbing anything positive. So I'll give you a little context on this. So in my classroom, because, you know, I'm trying, I try to avoid using like gender specific um, words in my class. And so over the last several years, you talk to any of my students, they'll notice, you know, I'll be allowed to walk in, hello, my little kumquats and hello, my beautiful little blueberries. And that's what happened. There was one day where there was a group of, of girls working at a table and I was like, you're all just so beautiful. And they shut me down right then and there. And I was so taken aback. I was just like, I was, you know, and these were good kids. Like these, yeah. these were intelligent and thoughtful kids, but right away it's just like, no, we're not, you know, in and I'm and I know that I'm I'm paraphrasing, but it threw me, but I didn't just walk away and be like, well, what's wrong with them? I actually, because the way they said it, almost like the whole class could hear me say it to them and them respond, we actually stopped as a class and had a conversation. Like, what? where are we at where this is so hard to hear something good about yourself? Because I just felt like this is the time. Like, some other teachers might be like, just walk away. I don't have time for this. I got all this content. I have to get into these kids, right? But I just found, I thought, Felt, felt it to my core that it was just so poor, important for us to have that that conversation and and talk about you know why do teenagers have such a problem with or have I guess maybe problems not the right word I'm trying to make sure I use the proper wording but they struggle right with they they're wrestling with their own self esteem and they hear something positive 
it's so hard for them to believe it. And yet if I, you know, if they have heard from other educators, they're so also so scarred if they're, they've heard, you know, you're bad at math, you'll never be good at math, you know, those kinds of things. Do you have any thoughts on that? I feel like I'm, 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 I'm reaching out to you for some one-to-one <laughs> advice in my class. I mean, I'm glad I stopped the class and had the conversation, but Oh, it's just, it broke my heart, Lainey. It broke my heart. Well, lots of thoughts running through my head and I don't know your context perfectly. Okay, sure, sure. But one of the things that I just want to say I thought was really wonderful that you did is that you didn't immediately take it personally because that's something that I find myself guilty of is that when something isn't working out in the classroom or there's a behavior that I'm not excited about, I'm sometimes like... (laughs) this is an affront to me and this is about yeah, me. Right, right, what are yeah. they, why do they not like me? And you did a really beautiful thing where you just kind of said, you know what, what is it that's making us not accept this? And so I, th- I think that's great that you kind of personally distance yourself from it because I think that's sometimes something that educators, we do is that we take a negative behavior personally when it's really nothing to do about me. It's really what's going on with the with these kiddos. And we do know mm-hmm. the kids. And of course, adolescents, is a is a transitional oh. stage and there's lots to go on there i live within almost 13 year old as i mentioned so i am i am on a like watch all the time for clues as to what's gonna be right right today because yeah, i don't know yeah. it's, it's oh always gosh, a wonder right? mom dar mom dar yeah. like radar right <laughs> exactly <laughs> so what i tend to do in those situations is try to be less prescriptive with it going back to your original question of like what would we do if we know we've got these these tweens or teens that are like you're not quite sure how it's going to hit is just be as open as possible so maybe it doesn't have to be that they're grateful for something in themselves maybe i would say like let's notice something good and this is where you again might want to zoom out rather than being like something for the from this lesson or something from our classroom it might want to be you know we can brainstorm as a class. What are some things that we could be grateful for? Sometimes I will give people a list of possible things that, just to kind of get their imagination going. And with with certain groups of ages, maybe even adolescents, it might be like pets, things that are sure. less to do with humans. <laughs> and maybe it's something in nature. Maybe it's a sport they get to play or something like that. So I like to give some options Friends, family, pets, you know, nature, all these different things. Just having to be, and this is where you're like, there's, it's so interesting what our context is, is going to play into all of this. So, and then I also think we do want to, there is plenty of research to support that we do want to capture this process of how it's, what you're thinking and how it's making you feel but how that happens can be really, really different. So for one person, they might want to do more of an artistic expression. Maybe they want to draw or paint something, or maybe they want to use digital media or things like that. It doesn't have to all be like, okay, write down on paper the thing that you're grateful for. We can give people some latitude on that as well. And then really, I always give permission if I am asking for people to share out, I say, this is completely optional and you do not have to share out. Right. Mm-hmm. Or if I am like, it's a, it's some sort of welcoming inclusion activity or optimistic closure where I really do want everyone to share. I will say, please write down at least one thing you're comfortable sharing with the group. And so I'm always mm-hmm. trying to give them like a heads up because this mm-hmm. is something that can be deeply personal for people. So I do want to give them a heads up if I am going to be asking them to share, but I'm almost hundred percent of the time happy to say you don't have to share if you don't want to yeah no I and I appreciate that the acknowledgement the conversation that spun from it was mind-blowing like they were so this was at a time in the year where they were they were really comfortable already with me and my style which is something comes up I don't care if we have, you know, this unit to get through, we will stop and we will try to either circle up and figure it out. And it was really profound. I want to tell you another little story, though, because you brought up something that just reminded me of something. Another little story for me. So I teach drama. 
Okay. So I, I love teaching one of my um, uh, favorite courses is drama 10. And I have grade nines and grade 10s in the class. When they come into the class, they're often very segregated. The nines are in their own little group and the tens are in their own little group. Once we start working on a show, we'll take about six weeks. So about six weeks into the year, we start working on a, a show for about six weeks. And it's just like a little one hour show. Okay, that's the basics there. And once they actually start working together, they become a little family, right? And it's so beautiful. But as in all families, sometimes things start going a little sideways. The people start getting a little snippy. They're, they're starting to feel the crunch of, you know, we're going to be going into the big auditorium and putting on our presentation. So one of the things, as soon as I start to feel that, you know, things are getting a little spicy in here. We circle up and I have them think to themselves. They look to the person to the right. What is the person to your right's best drama skill? And what do you appreciate about them? And they sit there and they know each other enough now that they're good and they say it. And I'm telling you, you want 30 minutes of warm, triple fuzzy. <laughs> like, it's so awesome because... And the kids, and they can't help, they hear something positive about themselves. Mm -hmm. See, this is like the flip of the other class, right? Like they hear, you know, things like, you know, I think you're so good at improv and I appreciate that you became my friend in this class when I felt like I had nobody, or I appreciate your smile or how are you including your groups. And then the other person responds with this huge smile and it almost, it becomes emotional. Like I'll have paraprofessionals EAs in the class and they'll be just like, you know, like trying not to cry, you know, it's just, it's so beautiful to take that time. And that is the hurdle that tends to kind of I've just found with experience doing this every semester, it's what kind of then brings them back together and they realize, okay, we got this. We're going to stop being snippy with each other. And I never actually talk about that negativity. We never actually sit down and go, okay, everybody's getting a little, you know, funny here. Let's, you know, instead we do that exercise and it's just so interesting, you know, that when we actually take the time it can just, the culture of the class is so positively, oh, just, yeah. it just, Lainey, it just brings me so much joy <laughs> to do these, these gratitude um, things with my class. I just love it, it. It really is a game changer. And this is why I'm still doing more with this topic is because yeah. I keep finding new things. And if we, if you and I had this conversation tomorrow, I might give you different answers because right, there right. is so much, you know, we're all like, I keep saying unique and dynamic, but there is so we're much evolving about with gratitude. Yes. yes we're evolving. Yes. <laughs> I am definitely evolving. So right. there's, so there's just no one way to do it. And I love that even though you're teaching both of these groups, you see the difference in the groups and you're able to understand what's happening with the room and you're pivoting based on that. So that's, I yeah. think that's what you need to do. Absolutely. Coming back a little bit to like the science and thinking. And when I was talking about metacognition, there is a section in your book about how thanking impacts thinking and actually makes our brains more awake. Referencing Dr. Carrie Howell's Work. Correct. And I think yes. the quote was, and again, I don't, of course, expect you to have memorized your book because I know that's always hard. If, if we think while we think, we think better. Yep. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Because it, I love that. Like, that's such a great way to kind of spin it for educators who think they have no time, right. you know, to implement something with gratitude in, say, you know, biology 11 that maybe it'll actually help them with what they're doing in class right we can use the science to back us up on why it's worth spending just even a few minutes of bringing yeah. gratitude into the learning community right so well i'm not a neuroscientist i am not an expert on neuroscience but as i have delved into what are the neuroscientists or the people who translate neuroscience to people like me uh what are they saying it's Basically, we can associate gratitude with serotonin and dopamine. Those are the two mm -hmm. happiness chemicals that we are most often hearing. And as my friend 
Alison Posey, who is someone who dives deep into neuroscience, she always likes to to remind people there's no like one spot in the brain, like here's the gratitude spot. Yeah, <laughs> I can yeah, point to right. it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when we are experiencing or expressing gratitude, the brain tends to be flooded with these happiness chemicals, serotonin and dopamine, like I said. Now, serotonin is most often referred to as like the pleasure, you know, it makes you feel good. And dopamine is really about motivation. And that's Mm. really what we want, right? Mm -hmm. We want our kids Mm -hmm. to be motivated to learn. And so you can make it a general gratitude practice that is still going to get those happiness chemicals flowing. As Sean Aker says, turn on all those learning centers in the brain. So it, it could even just be a basic general gratitude practice. You can also do it where it is specific to the content that you are about to be learning. So mm. Dr. Howells uses the example, this is for higher ed, but I think it, it you get the point, uh, mm. that she was teaching, uh, she was doing a, an activity with optometrists and, you know, students in an optometry program. So they're about to go on to be doctors for the eyes, yet they had never really stopped to think about like, how amazing are our eyes? Why aren't we grateful? You know, how we should be so grateful for our eyes. And so there's some real beauty in that. It's very simple, but it's very profound is that we often don't even get the chance to really think about like, why are we grateful for this thing that we're about to learn about? I mean, thinking down to really, really little, like in kinder, you know, maybe we're studying the plant cycle and like, why are we grateful for plants? What do plants bring us? We don't always take that time to Mm -hmm. thank before we think, as Carrie Mm -hmm. says. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. we don't get kids necessarily excited about stuff. Now, I am not so Pollyanna that I think we're going to get kids excited about everything they're going to need to learn about in our class. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. But we can at a minimum get them to be grateful to learn. And so I think that's kind of the big thing. Let's be grateful for learning and all the things that this will bring us, all the opportunities we will have because we can read, because we can write. And then when we can bring it into, like she said, the thinking before thinking of like, this is what we're about to learn about. Think about how amazing this thing is. And Mm. now let's go learn about it. I think Mm. that has a really profound impact. Well, and it, it kind of reminds me of like I I've mentioned to you when we met before um, I we started the this interview that I'm an, an assessment nerd right and I a proud assessment card carrying assessment nerd and and you know when you talk about things like UDL and all that you're 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 you're, you're tugging at my heartstrings Laney and as someone who is also you know working on doing things like, you know, designing criteria with students and making my classroom more student-centered. And the self-assessment piece, I can see the connections with gratitude because like one of the strategies I've talked to educators about is when students are looking at their own work and they present, you know, what are their glows and grows when they actually look at their learning and they're literally, when they're talking about what are the glows in my work, the wording of what do I appreciate about what I've done? What am I most proud of is like a showing of gratitude. And then even the framing of the grows can be positive in, in order, in, a, in other words, it's not, you know, where they're chastising themselves and, oh, I'm a terrible student. I'm so dumb. They're actually pointing out, you know, things, this is what I can do better. Do you see that connection like between, you know, gratitude and assessment? hundred percent. In fact, it's so fun that I have been able to make connections to gratitude across a lot of things. And I love how you're talking about like, obviously the glows would be expressions of appreciation for ourselves for doing this, but also the grows. And it's like, I get to do this to improve here, I think is really, really good. I Mm -hmm. wrote uh, one of the articles I wrote for Edutopia that ties kind of directly to what you're saying about assessment is the art and science of using praise for improvement. And I share in there something that I have known for, you know, since I was that psychology student at San Diego State is the ideal praise to correction ratio. And I just want to be like super clear because I think praise has been that word specifically sometimes has different meanings to different people. So I'm speaking about praise in the like the literature, in the research, using the word praise as far as like 
I see this good and I'm going to specifically oh, okay. and authentically share it with you. Okay? So we're so talking like, about actual feedback as yep. opposed to at a girl. Exactly. Good yes. job. Okay. Specific, yep. authentic feedback that is okay. positive is how I would define praise. And okay. so in this context, specifically mm-hmm. in education mm-hmm. context uh, versus correction or constructive feedback. Right. So I was taught six to one, six positives for every one negative. Uh, the experts, again, don't always agree. And so right. there's a range and anywhere from four to one to six to one is what the vast majority of experts will agree on. Now, mm-hmm. this is not specific to education. This is like in every facet of our lives. So if you're familiar with the Gottmans who are relationship oh, experts, yes. mm-hmm. so the Gottmans will tell you the same thing in a marriage. You should be pointing out the good in your partner overwhelmingly compared to the bad. And so this happens in our learning communities. This happens in business relationships. This happens with romantic partners. This is, you know, families, parents, and kids, probably one of the toughest ones because as a parent, you're heavily invested in improving Mm -hmm. this child. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. really hard to get to that, but we actually do have to do that. And so I believe that, In the context of assessment, we as educators have to point out what is working overwhelmingly compared to what needs to be improved upon. And when Mm. we do that, when we say, here's what works, this works, this works specifically authentically, then we say, and where I think you could grow is here. My personal experience, and the science backs me up here, is far more likely that they act on what they should improve upon than if I had done, here's what needs to be fixed. Here's what needs to be fixed. Here's what needs to be yes. fixed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And does that, does that, so that's Oh, that no, it, it, it totally does. And then if we want to get, I don't know if the word I'm using right, if we're getting more meta about it, it's yeah. like, um, when we see in the future that they're applying both the positive and the, that, or even and the constructive feedback, that's when we can actually use that as the data that we know that that feedback is working, right? We give the time to actually apply that kind of feedback and then we're able to see it because some educators might go, well, I don't know if I have time to do that. Well, give it a try and then put them in another learning situation where they're able to then apply that feedback and they have it right there in front of them. See if they now mimic all of the positive things you pointed out, those glows that you've yeah. written on their paper, their paragraph or whatever they're done, their math assignment, and then, and the constructive feedback. And then, you know, you know, if you track that, you're going to be able to see that that's what's going to happen. And sometimes the length of the feedback doesn't even matter so much as have they been able to now move forward on their learning journey and it, it becomes so positive. So yeah, you're. And I, I think it can be overwhelming to think about that ratio. And so sure. I have some suggestions uh, for educators. So for one, I'd, is, love, to, I'd love to hear them. <laughs> uh, for one is if it seems overwhelming to do it for your whole class, maybe pick one child. I would pick a child who either flies under the radar and doesn't get noticed a lot for positive or negatives or mm-hmm. choose a child who is really challenging you. And actually track it, try and keep track mm. of it privately, not, we're not mm-hmm. posting this mm-hmm. on a bulletin board or anything, but mm-hmm. privately just try and track it. And if you're like, I'm, I don't know if I can even do this in my classroom, maybe try it personally, try it with your partner, try it with one of your own biological children, try right. it in some small way and really watch how it changes that relationship because this is the life lesson that I have to learn over and over again is the best way to change someone else's behavior is to change my behavior first. Mm. And 100%. So I cannot, I cannot expect change from other people. I can't control them until I at least try and change some of the things that I'm doing. And so this is the life lesson I have to keep learning. And when I'm in a tough spot with a relationship, whether it's, you know, just an interpersonal relationship or it's a learning relationship, I always step back now and think, what is my ratio? Where, Mm -hmm. what am I doing to make sure that this person sees that I believe in them? I see the good in them. I value them. I will make sure that they see that I know that about them because otherwise Mm. people just shut down. They back away. They're checked out. It's just, 
Yeah. And, and it, and it's hard and we wonder where in the, in an educator's own history, has it occurred that it is a good thing not to reflect on their own practice and put the mirror up where instead of trying to address something maybe in themselves, like instead of, you know, just blaming the, the, the child for being the way they are like that reflection piece is so important and I know that some of my fellow educators really struggle with that like saying what can they change in their own practice how can we reflect and then apply it into into the the environment it's 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 tough but I think what you so beautifully explain is how important it is that we model that for our students because when we model that they see it and it will attach onto them. It'll become tattooed onto their, into their brains and into their hearts. So it's, sorry, I'm just kind of feel like I'm kind of thinking out loud here. It's just making me think about, you know, making sure as a staff, then if there are educators who are struggling with that reflective piece of their own, how can we model that as a staff? So then they maybe will want to take that, take that chance, even with their own classes. Absolutely. And so I, I really am trying to make gratitude as accessible as possible. Praise is a specific form of gratitude. If that's not where you want to focus your energy, that's okay. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, it's not easy, but it's highly effective. It's one mm -hmm. way to do it. Um, another way that I would say to kind of operationalize, if you will, gratitude is to think okay. about, you know, I like Castle's three signature practices. Whenever I am working with kids or adults, I'm always going to start with a welcoming inclusion activity. I'm always going to make sure there's engaging strategies. I'm not just going to talk at people forever. And then I'm always making sure this is the hardest one, optimistic closure. Not that it has to be like ending on a positive note, but it's about reflecting and thinking forward. And I say the optimistic closure is the hardest because I, I have to make time for it. It is so hard yeah, because I yeah. always, I'm an over planner. And so I always have more things than I can accomplish in a certain amount yeah, of time. Yeah. But I have just become staunch about, I will end whatever we are doing five minutes before so we can do our optimistic closure. And that really will help us process through and ultimately make the what we did accomplish more impactful than just trying to cram in a few more things in those last five minutes. So those are, those are a couple mm -hmm. strategy, focus on your praise to correction ratio, or consider maybe how could you bring three signature practices in? Not that you would do gratitude for all three of them, but could gratitude be a welcoming inclusion activity? Could it be part of an engaging strategy? Could it be an optimistic closure? Like I love the example that you gave in your drama class of like, okay, now turn to the person next to you and share something that you're grateful for them. Be specific, be authentic about it, right? And so that's a great optimistic closure because you're getting them to think back on what's happened. And then it should also naturally lead them to think about like what's to come. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's yeah. You're oh, it's all like warm fuzzies. <laughs> I just, I, I love it. I just love it. I just Wait, I can't I stop it. talking about gratitude. I love it. I, love it. I, I, I gotta tell you like right now I'm just, I, you know, I'm really grateful for this conversation and I can't wait to listen to the replay <laughs> because I want to, you know, I'm like, I'm feeling like, you know, when you're in a workshop and you want to write everything down, and then I've also got to pay attention that I have questions and things I have to ask you. So I guess that's this is a podcasters that's, conundrum. That's, that's, I was going to say a podcasters conundrum, and it's a really wonderful problem to have, I think. So, uh, Lainey, what's next for you? Like you've shown um, that you've got a new book, the workbook out, yeah. the journal, right? Yeah. Um, so and what's next for you? You're still doing your podcast. Yes, yeah, still doing the podcast. Yes. So Bold Gratitude, the journal designed for you and by you is a universally designed gratitude journal. And it really just, just came to fruition. It's just fresh out into the world. It's only been out a matter of like, well, this time, two months, barely two months. Oh, maybe okay. Two months. Okay. Okay. Um, so it's really been fun putting this out into the world. And so the, the whole point is voice and choice, like as much control as possible for you. Mm. So there's a bunch mm. of different practices in here. And so the practices are practices that I have been using with adults and kids for the last few years. I've been, you know, putting them out and doing field testing with them. And then I partnered with my lifelong bestie, Allison Liu, who is a brilliant creative. And I was, 
I, I said, this is the activity. Now I need you to make the page layout and the whole design of the book, the flow of, you know, the pages. I, I need it to, because that's part of the experience, right? So the pages need to, to, to complement what the activity is. So we are constantly talking about, you can write about it. You could pull out an app and record yourself. You could share something on the socials. You could do it in so many different ways. So the whole, the whole thing, and it's been really fun. One of the things that Allison was like, how much space do I leave for the gratitude prompts? And then this was another opportunity for me to be like, hmm, I don't want to mm -hmm. tell people how much space. So right. I ended up saying, here's what we're going to do, Allison. And I know this is an audio podcast, but at the end of each section, there is a bank of prompts. And so oh, this I section is like happiness, um, gratitude for happiness. And so there's about 10 to 15 prompts at the end of each section. There are little strips that are meant to be cut out if you want to. Now, I know the idea okay. of cutting a book is traumatic for some people. That is, You could photocopy it, though, and cut it out, right? You could, or you could rewrite it, or you could do whatever you want. And we even say that you could cut the prompts out, glue them onto the following pages to give yourself as much space as you want. If the idea of cutting your journal stresses you out, rewrite them, do whatever yeah, you need yeah, to. Yeah. Like, the whole journal is about... That So it's been really fun. And so I will tell you, I don't know if you're familiar with Tara Martin, but she's an amazing author and speaker. And so she posted on the socials that she cut the strips out. She put them into a mason jar and she wanted to add an element of chance to it. So she just draws from the jar and oh, that's I love that. for the day. And so this has been like my focus right now is seeing yep. how we put this thing out into the world that's supposed to be as much voice and choice. That's why it's the journal designed for you and by you. And then seeing how people are making it their own in ways that we couldn't have even imagined has been just so fun. It has been oh. a real joy. So Okay. So um, I'm just going to pause this podcast and go onto my phone. I'm going to Amazon <laughs> right now and putting that in my cart because I just love the idea of accessibility. And again, I love, again, how you're telling me about how this book is. It's so similar to the other book where you can kind of pick and choose what you want, want to do. I just, I absolutely, oh, I can't, I can't and wait. And it's really- and I was just Sorry, saying, it's really stretching me because I'm not an artistic person. It's not something that I would put forth. I, I know I can get there if I work on it. And so Allison being a creative and she's like, well, why don't we add directions for making an origami bookmark? And I'm like, that's amazing. I would have never thought of that because we're telling people to jump around the journal and do it in whatever order they want. Why not have a bookmark? So you know where you left off in case you oh, want to continue nice. there. And so she really helped me. And so that's something I'm focusing on. I have now been sitting because I travel a lot for work. So I've now been on planes with my coloring pencils and my transparent sticky notes and having a ton of fun. And so. Oh, that's great. So you mentioned you're traveling a lot because you are a consultant. You do yes. do workshops and presentations and keynotes yes. and those kinds of things. So yes. how if a listener is thinking, hmm, there's something maybe my school could use or my district, how can they connect with you, Lainey? Yeah, so I am Lainey Rell across the web, and I realize neither of those are easy, and that's probably why I was able to get the domain. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so my first name, Lainey, L-A-I-N-I-E, and Rell, like Powell, R-O-W-E-L-L. And so LaineyRowell.com, Lainey Rowell on all the socials. I am mostly on Twitter or X, whatever we're calling it today, and Instagram. I do have spaces in other places, but honestly, I'm not there as much. But you can always email me, LaineyRowell at gmail.com. I would love to continue yeah. the conversation. And I do love going and um, I do talk about, I do other sessions. I do universal design for learning. I do inquiry-based learning. I do assessment. I do lots of different topics. Wow. This, this is the this is the one that's most requested right now. So I think oh, maybe this I is what see I've learned so much about you in this conversation. <laughs> I knew this was going to be so good. Um but we have oh my gosh there's just so many connecting pieces. And for listeners I'll make sure I put all of Lainey's information in the show notes so you know exactly where to find her. So now are you ready for the elevator pitch? Elevator yes. pitch is something I do with all of my guests. So here's a, the way I want you to envision, Lainey, is you're on the elevator. You're on, say, let's say you're on the fourth floor and educator is going to get on and they're going to press the seventh floor. So you've got three floors and the elevator is not stopping. So in your context, 
if an educator is getting on the elevator and recognizes you perhaps either, you know, from your podcast or your book and says, Oh, Lainey Rowell, you know, I'm, I'm having a hard time embracing the messiness of implementing some form of gratitude. I just don't think I have time. What can you say? What little nugget can you give them in just those three floors that might get them to keep, you know, keep on keeping on? Yeah. Okay. So I would say, I'll say one thing for each floor. I would say Mm -hmm. it's important to bring gratitude into our learning communities because it will improve well-being, it will nurture relationships, and it will activate learning. Mm -hmm. And so just make the time for it because it will benefit you as the educator. It'll benefit your learners. And this is a pro-social thing. It will actually spread out into the community, to the families, and to other members of the community. So it's worth it. That's fantastic. I, and, oh, I just, I, I love this conversation. I love the science behind gratitude. I love how there, you can do it. You can do it small. You can do it big. You can, it's whatever your context and, you know, educators get, get, you know, there's grace in the process, right? We, you know, troubleshoot, try things. Don't feel like, you know, if you're not into having like a gratitude journal, there's other ways in which you can show gratitude. And I think the repercussions are so, so positive. I've noticed it with my students. I've noticed it with myself personally. Lainey Ralph, thank you so much for joining me. You're- I am honored. Like I said, such a, such a fan. And this conversation is just, I'm going to hold it to my heart. I, you know, I can't wait to get off here and share with my family, some of my learning and all of my educator friends. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. And I'm hoping you'll return the favor and maybe come on my podcast. Oh, whoa. You name the time and place and I will be there. <laughs> All right. There's going to be a I Calendly link sent your way in the near future. <laughs> awesome. Thank you again. I'm honored to have produced this and all episodes of the Embrace the Messy podcast with Shannon Schinkel on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded lands of the Clay Lake First Nation. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and share it with a colleague or friend. Doing so will help others find the podcast. Know someone who embraces the messy and would make a great guest on the pod? Email me at embracethemessypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Thank you.